Today is April 28th, 2021. The new census numbers come out, and they could lead to a lot of change. The Supreme Court takes on a landmark gun rights case, and the CDC says that vaccinated people can shed the mask. I'm your host, Austin Taylor, and this is Split the Difference Podcast. Here we take a look at both sides of the political aisle as we try to bridge the gap between today's biggest issues. Remember, times may be divisive, and we may not always agree. But together, we can stay level-headed, be reasonable, and always split the difference. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends, Split the Difference family. We have another fantastic episode for you here bright and early on this Wednesday morning, middle of the week, bringing you all the best news and insights from both the left and the right side of the aisle. It has been a little while since we actually had Monday off, but we are trying our best to come to you now and get you all of the good and the bad from the left and from the right and do our best to try and split the difference and find that sweet, sweet truth that oftentimes lies right there in the middle. So with all of that having been said, let's go ahead and hop on into our first story of the day. Story number one. So for our first story of the day, the census numbers are finally starting to be put together after the 2020 census was done last year. Uh, They're finally coming out, and it is clear that it's probably going to shake up a good amount of things. It normally does have a little bit of a shakeup, but I think that this census and the census before it, uh, like most things, have started to become pretty highly politicized. Uh, So... There are a lot of hot takes and insights around what the cen- what the census numbers actually mean and how they're going to shake things up, especially from a congressional districting perspective. So let's go ahead and hop in real quick. We're going to take a look at ABC News doing some reporting on this yesterday. Now to the high stakes political power shift from the results of the 2020 census. The first batch of released data shows some states are set to gain congressional seats while others will lose some. Our chief White House correspondent Cecilia Vega has the details. Good morning, Cecilia. Hi, Diane. Good morning to you. So this was one of the most complicated headcounts ever given the pandemic and the Trump administration's push to not have undocumented immigrants counted. The reason these numbers we're talking about this morning are so important is they potentially determine how more than a trillion dollars in federal money gets allocated and how congressional maps are drawn. And the big impact that we're talking about right now is that red states potentially are going to pick up several seats. Blue states are potentially going to lose some. So let me show you this map and what we're talking about. This ultimately could change the makeup in Congress as we head into these midterms. Texas, you see it there, is going to pick up two seats in the House. Florida, North Carolina, Colorado, Oregon, and Montana, they get another seat. On the flip side, though, for the first time in history, California loses a seat. New York, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, West Virginia, those important Rust Belt states, they're all going to drop a seat as well. Now, listen to this. New York, if just 89 more residents had responded to the census, they would not be losing that seat there. And, Diane, there are some concerns this morning that perhaps Latinos did not fully participate in this headcount because it was conducted by the Trump administration and there were concerns about what filling out those forms could mean for them. Okay, so that was a lot all at once. So let's break out some of the stats, okay? So the overall United States population stood at 331,449,281 people. That, you know, according to the Census Bureau, is the total population. 
Okay, that is a 7.4% increase over the 2010 uh, census that was conducted a decade ago. Uh, that is actually representative of the second slowest growth of any decade in United States history since the census has been conducted. So multiple states, like she said in that video, will gain seats and a few more will lose them. The most notable one that will lose the state is actually California. Uh, which lost a seat for the first time in its 170-year history of being a state. Uh, I believe that uh, it was a step, you know, since since California was established, it had always gained, uh, it always gained or just maintained the number of seats that it had. had. Uh, that's why California actually has the most number of uh, representatives within the House of Representatives. Um, but it actually lost a seat this time around. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about that as well. So since the House of Representatives is based upon population of states, this means that some states are given seats and some states are, of course, going to have representatives taken away based upon the relative populations in each of these states. So the five states that gained at least one seat are Colorado, Florida, Montana, North Carolina and Oregon, okay? Texas actually is getting two new seats from Congress or in Congress. This is the 10th census in a row that Florida has gained a seat, and it is the 8th census in a row that Texas has gained at least one seat, okay? Seven states will be losing one seat. California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Okay. This is the first time, like I said, California's lost one. This is actually the fifth census appointment in a row in which New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Ohio, and Michigan all lost a seat. Okay. So you're able to see that a lot of the places where uh, there, there have tended to be, I think, you know, a lot of kind of battleground happening within these states, all right? When you're looking at like, not necessarily New York, but Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan especially, those are, I mean, huge battleground states that the Republicans and Democrats, especially in uh, presidential elections, battle over a lot. Um, and then subsequently also, you know, of course, in the in the um, downstream uh type pollings and everything like that as well. They're, I mean, incredibly important so because they still hold a lot of representatives. So um, it is clear right now there's some pretty big shifts and where uh, people are choosing to live in the United States. And I would be not, I would not be surprised at all if it continues in this direction as well, especially after COVID. So uh, in Corona, during coronavirus, we saw a pretty record amount of people leaving really, really large cities in pursuit of going to smaller states uh, that had significantly less coronavirus restrictions and also were away from extremely large urban centers. So you saw this especially in California and in New York. Uh, I mean, there was actually, I mean, there's, there are people, a lot, of, a lot of people are calling it the California exodus, right? But there were a lot of people over the course of 2020 that decided to pick up and move out of California simply because the COVID restrictions were absolutely brutal. And there are a lot of people in California and the taxes are through the roof. It is very, very difficult for you to get around because the cities are incredibly congested. So a lot of people are picking up and they're moving to actually more red states, uh, kind of by happenstance, maybe they're choosing them for a specific reason, like lower taxes and uh, more personal freedom and responsibility. But nonetheless, California actually has lost a good portion of his, of his population 
And uh, I think that this census probably didn't even capture the vast majority of those people that left just last year, okay? Uh, I think that when we get to see at the 2030 census, I think we're going to see an even larger shift in population density out of ex you know extremely high population areas uh, like California and New York, uh, moving towards more you know, less tax burdensome areas and areas where they can go out and buy a larger house. People can buy more land. People tend to like that. So how does the breaking up of the congressional seats work? Okay. That's an important question to ask. And probably not a lot of people have actually worked through it or know how it works. So we're going to cover it. So the number of house seats has been fixed at 435 seats since the 63rd Congress in 1913, aside from a very temporary increase when Hawaii and Alaska got statehood. So as the nation's population's population increases, the number of people that each seat represents increases as well because that number of 435 is fixed, okay? So as you see population increase, you see the number of people that that singular person in Congress actually by on average represents. In 2020, the average was 761,169 people that each representative represents, okay? That is up 50,000 people from 2010 where it was right around 710,000 people, okay? And that is more than three and a half times as many people per seat that was in the two thousand or in the 1910 census. Okay, so states with more people per district are less representative because each voter wields less power in determining who will represent them in Congress. Okay, so if you're in an incredibly high population district, all right, or maybe you're in a state where there's a very very small amount of representatives that are, are over your state. Uh, you're going to have a much smaller representation in Congress because the idea is basically that uh, you are you have less of a say in who is going to be representing you because there are more people that are actually voting for that one person. Okay, the formula used for allotting the amount of representatives per state is incredibly complex. I'm not going to get into it because that is all done at a very high level. Uh, but there are some states that just barely miss the cut for maintaining their current number of representatives. New York, most notably. So if you listen to the very very end of that ABC video that we did before that we talked about before, you can tell that they are incredibly left leaning because they actually blamed New York. <laughs> not having the proper amount to not lose representatives on Donald Trump because Donald Trump was supposedly discouraging Hispanic people from going and taking the census, which is an incredibly far stretch. Okay. But New York, if they would have had 89 more people uh, participate in or be accounted for in the census, then they would have uh, actually not lost a seat. Okay. So overall from all of this, it is pretty clear that Republicans are going to benefit from this. So states won by Donald Trump in 2020 gained a total of five seats and lost two states won by Biden in 2020 lost five seats and gained two. Okay. The states that gained seats currently have 52 Republicans in them and 37 Democrats. So the, the states that actually ended up benefiting from the census and gaining representatives in Congress are already majority Republican states where the Republicans that lost where the rep uh, states that lost seats, um, actually have 55 Republicans and 94 Democrats in Congress, okay? So the states with the most gains were majority Republicans, and the states with the most losses are actually majority Democrats. Uh, it also should be noted that one of the states uh, that, that Donald Trump won that lost a seat was West Virginia, and they only have four to begin with, 
Okay. They're an incredibly small state. So there's not a lot of people that are worrying about that thing, West Virginia flipping blue anytime soon. And they're also not super worried about it because it's an incredibly small amount of representatives. So uh, this means, of course, now they have to redistrict, okay? Anytime there's a change like this in the House of Representatives, it means that they have to actually go out and redraw where the districts are at. You know, you have to have new maps. If you're adding in a new district or if you're taking away a district, you have to redraw the lines where people live and who they vote for in that district. Uh, because the Republicans hold the majority and control of the vast majority of the states that were redistricted, they have a much better opportunity to be able to capitalize on the redistricting. Okay. This means that Republicans essentially will be able to redraw the districts in their favor favor. So this also happened in 2010 where the Republicans redrew the districts in a way that helped them hold the majority in a lot of ways for eight years. Okay. If this happens again, it will be, or when it happens again, it will be a very big deal, especially because following the 2010 redistricting that was done primarily on Republican terms, uh, there was a huge case that went up to the Supreme Court level around basically gerrymandering. Many of you have probably heard of the term gerrymandering, but the redrawing or basically setting up districts in a way that would be politically beneficial for you. Uh, and the Supreme Court said that it is illegal to redistrict based upon race. However, they said it is okay to redistrict based upon political reasons, okay? Which is obviously why the Republicans are doing it. So the interesting thing is, and this is the second census in a row that this has happened, and it is the year before the 2022 midterm elections, meaning that the Republicans will be in a position to make huge gains next year in the elections, okay? Not only will the districts be more favorable for Republicans, but presidents historically do very poorly in the midterm, the year after, the, the midterms right after they win, okay? So, if you look at uh, Donald Trump, for example, uh, he won in a pretty like pretty sweeping across the country, and then you know they lost Congress or they lost at least the House of Representatives in 2016. Same thing happened in 2008 with Barack Obama. He gets in in 2008, crushes it, blows it out. They've got all three branches. Well, not all three branches. They have the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and then he loses it in 2010. So. Uh, yes, that is still a long way away, but you know, a year from now, I think the Republicans are basically gearing up to try and have a huge, you know, quote, red wave uh, for the midterms next year. A lot of it's going to be based upon redistricting, and a lot of it is going to be obviously based upon attacking Biden in every way they can possibly conceive of. So with all of that, that is the end of our first story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our second story, story number two. So for our second story of the day, the Supreme Court decides that it's going to take up and listen to the arguments over a gun rights case. Uh, over the past decade or two, the Supreme Court has purposefully stayed away from gun rights cases uh, because there are a lot of politicians that have wanted the Supreme Court to kind of do some of the legislating for them. Uh, but the run has finally ended. Uh, they decided to take up a case that could set a precedent for how a state how far a state can go in restricting people's ability to carry and possess a gun outside of the home. So let's go ahead and hop in real quick. Who better to go to than Fox News to do some reporting on this now? Uh, the Supreme Court is taking up a case that could lead to expanding gun rights. Yep, you heard that right. The New York State Rifle and Pistol Association is challenging the state's concealed carry gun laws. Our next guest is the executive director of that group. He says the laws violate Second Amendment rights and that judges and law enforcement apply them arbitrarily. Tom King joins us now. You must be pleased that the Supreme Court, in particular this Supreme Court, is going to hear this case, Tom. 
Oh, I'm ecstatic. Uh, I, I can't. I, 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 I hope for this for years, and, and finally it's coming to fruition. All right. <laughs> so he is ecstatic. So like, like he just said, Republicans are pumped about this, okay? The right here is exactly why. Uh, basically what's going on here is exactly why the right was wanting to ram through justices as quickly as possible while they had the, the majority, the Republican majority within the Senate, and they also had a Republican president in Donald Trump, okay? As soon as Donald Trump got elected, Republicans across the country realized they had potential to get one, maybe two seats in the, on the on the Supreme Court, okay? Which, if they would have gotten two seats, it would have flipped it, the court to a conservative majority, okay? By the end of Trump's presidency, as many of you know, they actually picked up three seats on the Supreme Court, which means that they now hold a six to three majority, okay? Um, and is a solid conservative majority on the Supreme Court. So all the while, Donald Trump was in office and he was appointing a lot of different federal judges and he was appointing Supreme Court justices as well. The Republicans have slowly but surely been challenging laws all across the country, that especially on guns and also especially on abortion as well. So the Republicans have been passing legislation that is that is clearly partisan or challenging legislation that they want to go away just so they can hopefully get it appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court level. And if the Supreme Court decides to take it on, if they've got a conservative majority there, then they expect for the Supreme Court to, you know, obviously put things in their way, okay? Um, they're doing this right now with abortion. They're also challenging a lot of gun rights laws as well. So, this particular law is one that has caused some caused a little bit of a stir for a while. So gun control activists claim that it is a simple measure to try and curb crime, while gun rights activists say that it is far too restrictive. So there have been multiple lower courts that have taken on laws somewhat similar to this one right now, which if you don't know what it is, specifically restricts people from carrying a concealed pistol outside of their home unless they have a special permit, which is incredibly difficult to obtain. So people that are actually on the court or, or on the court that are on the case that is responsible for getting this pushed all the way up to the Supreme Court level uh, were people that were saying that they wanted to be able to carry a gun outside of their house to defend themselves in their neighborhood or in various areas around town because they may have lived in a in a bad neighborhood, whatever reason, and they applied for being able to carry the gun on them to get the permit to do it, even though they had a concealed weapons permit, they were not legally allowed to bring the gun outside of their home because of restrictive New York gun laws, okay? So, uh, some lower courts have said that being able to carry a concealed weapon on your person outside of the home is not within the scope of the Second Amendment provision to keep and quote, bear arms, okay? So that specific portion of the Second Amendment about the right to bear arms is kind of what gets a little bit foggy, okay, in constitutional law. There are some lower courts that have said, hey, this means that you can't, this doesn't necessarily mean that you can just carry a gun anywhere that you go, it just means that you can keep it within your house to be able to protect protect yourself and your family. Other lower courts have said, no, this means that you should be able to take your gun anywhere that you want, carry it however you want, and whatever gun it is that you have, take it anywhere you want. So, um, states are incredibly divided on all of this. You have states like New York or actually Hawaii as well is a great example that are vehemently against people being able to take and carry a gun outside of the home at all times. And then there are other states that actually promote and push people to take guns on their person with them wherever they go. I mean, 
great example of that is my home state of South Carolina. Literally just three weeks ago, the state House of Representatives passed a law that would allow for people to be able to open carry a firearm without having any permit at all, which means that literally anyone can walk around, walk down the street with a gun strapped to their hip, no questions asked, okay? As long as it is out, as long as it is visible, you don't need a permit, you just got that gun locked and loaded on your hip. So obviously different states are incredibly divided on this. So it's planned on being argued as coming fall in the court's next term, and it will be interesting, to say the least, uh, as Biden and many other Democrats look to pass legislation over the next year or so that may have some serious run-ins with whatever the decision lays out, uh, making it unconstitutional to bar people from carrying weapons outside of their home may end up blocking some of the restrictions that are being discussed right now on the left side of the aisle, depending on how far-reaching those restrictions actually are. And with it all, you know, looking at kind of just objectively where the court sits right now, I'd be very, very surprised if this did not go in the way of the conservatives uh, with the tilt with this, you know, towards the six, three majority of conservative justices right now, all of them pretty open and active supporters, uh, strong supporters of the second amendment and the gun rights that it affords uh, in the sense that they're self-described constitutional originalists, right? Like they, the conservative justices on the Supreme court would say that they interpret the constitution from its original statement, not necessarily from what it would be prescribed to later on. I would be uh, very, very surprising to me if this law in New York is actually upheld uh, based upon the arguments that are presented later on this year. So uh, I think we should also plan on seeing more abortion bills coming across as well, being passed by conservative states uh, and a push for uh, those pieces of legislation to be sent up to the Supreme Court level. Uh, conservatives are going to be working very, very hard over the next few years to tear down some of the key issues that Democrats regard as kind of like their crowning achievements, abortion being like one of the top ones, like one, like right at the top of the list, conservatives want to tear that down. Uh, do I think that uh, laws passed that are incredibly restrictive on abortions or would essentially overturn Roe versus Wade? Uh, do I think that those will actually get all the way pushed up to the Supreme Court and then actually argued and and winning in the Supreme Court and you know basically outlawing abortion? No, I don't at all. I don't see that. I could be wrong, right? Uh, but I do not see the Supreme Court uh, reversing Roe versus Wade, even with the heavy conservative majority that we have in the Supreme Court right now. I, I just don't see that happening. But, you know, I would not be surprised if we see more cases about abortion and gun rights over this next year to uh, get sent up to the Supreme Court, for sure. So with all of that, let's go ahead and hop on into our last story of the day, story number three. So for our third story of the day, the CDC comes out and rolls back mask restrictions if you are vaccinated, okay? They've officially said that it is okay for you not to wear a mask if you are in a small group setting, uh, primarily outdoors, and you are vaccinated, but that you, you should, and it's okay to do that if you want to, but you don't have to. So they said this, those who are fully vaccinated or 14 days post-second dose of either Pfizer or Moderna vaccine, or 14 days past the Johnson & Johnson one-dose jab, they can attend a small outdoor gathering with people who are vaccinated or unvaccinated, or dine with friends from multiple households without a mask. The update also clarified that fully vaccinated workers are no longer restricted from working following exposure as long as they are asymptomatic, okay? Which is pretty big because there are a lot of places currently that even if their workers were vaccinated completely and they are 
a long while past their vaccination, uh, they were actually sending workers home and quarantining them, not allowing them to show up to work if they were exposed to the virus while they were at work, uh, which I've honestly found kind of confusing because then what is the purpose of getting vaccinated if you can't go back to work and not be quarantined if someone may come in with the coronavirus? But I don't know. So all this comes amongst a still very, very politicized COVID response. Okay. It is amazing how the politics are still, I mean, just absolutely rolling around the COVID response right now. So there are some states that are completely open back up. Okay. You can dine at full capacity. You can go to games at full capacity, hang with friends and family at full capacity. And then there are other states that still have a steady stream of restrictions uh, with mask mandates or some restaurants being closed down. You're not being allowed to, uh, there aren't any more curfews or anything like that out there in the United States specifically. There are other places like Ontario, Canada, for example, where you are not even allowed to leave your house unless you have a permission slip. Uh, Italy as well as another country with extremely heavy COVID restrictions still on it right now. Uh, but there's still a couple of states in the United States that still have strong mask mandates and they also still have uh, a requirement for some businesses to remain closed as well. So there are a lot of arguments around whether or not restrictions should still be in place or whether they should be completely, things should be completely open back up and whether or not the government should be forcing people to wear masks. I'm not sure how the mask thing got so incredibly politicized. My guess, right, and it's a pretty strong urge, is that it's because Trump didn't like them. And if Trump doesn't like them, then the entirety of the right doesn't like them. And if, you know, Trump doesn't like them, that means the entirety of the left absolutely loves them and masks are the best thing that's ever happened. But at this point, it really does almost feel like it is 100% a political statement, whether or not you are wearing a mask. And that is, I mean, absolute just insanity. Um, I mean, I literally see some people at bars, I mean, just rubbing up all over each other. i no mask on, doing whatever it is they want, doesn't matter at all, didn't even come in with a mask, doesn't, they don't even own a mask anymore. And then I see other people driving in their car alone with two or three masks covering their face. It, pretty hilarious dichotomy to me there. So anyways, both sides are screaming that they're right, and both sides are saying that the other side handled COVID all wrong, but the great news is, hopefully all of this will slowly but surely start to go away over the next couple months. We won't have to hear politicians grandstanding about it anymore. So the scariest thing happening around all of this right now uh, is actually regarding COVID in India, okay? Cases in India are absolutely exploding, right? Record numbers, okay? Many people have said this is pretty much almost inevitable. They have the second highest population in the entire in the entire world. Their population density, especially in their large cities, is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, and they don't have a great healthcare system in place, but they are currently now topping over 350,000 new cases every single day and death tolls are spiking as well. Hospitals, healthcare workers are extremely overwhelmed. They are literally taking like tubes of oxygen out into the streets and just hooking them up to face masks and putting them on people. And they're carting people in from miles and miles around just to get a little bit of oxygen. It's wild. It's terrible. So some countries have pledged to help, but the problem is actually getting the help there. So for example, like tubes of oxygen, face masks, different things like that. Uh, getting it distributed in an efficient fashion is incredibly difficult in India because they lack a lot of the infrastructure that is there in a lot of first world countries that allows for uh, incredibly quick vaccine vaccine distribution and other like PPE and other sorts of uh, protective gear that you'd be able to use or wear uh, in combating the coronavirus. So 
Um, all of that to say, things could be much, much worse here in America. As much as we love to complain about pretty much everything, at least we have hospital beds if needed. At least we have just about every opportunity that we want to be able to go out and get a vaccine if you want one. You also have the right to refuse to get a vaccine if you want one in the United States as well. Right now, people are dying in the streets in India. And the main thing that we're talking about and debating on the daily basis about COVID restrictions is whether or not they have to wear a mask if they have to sit through a one-hour church service or whether they have to wear a mask if they're going out to a bar or to dine with friends. That's what we're complaining about in the United States. It really is amazing what uh, growing accustomed to privilege can do. Just going to say. So with all of that, that is the end of our third and our last story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our last segment, my favorite segment, something that made me smile. So something that made me smile this week is actually getting a new truck. I'm joining the truck family, y'all. Finally, it has taken me so long. I've searched for probably a year and a half now on whether or not, you know, deciding going back and forth on whether or not I could get one, whether I should get one. Finally decided went out and got me a truck and I am excited about it y'all. It's going to it's great. Got me an F150. Can't go wrong with Ford. Uh, I will say this though, shameless plug. I used Carvana. Never you I've always gone and bought cars at dealerships before. That's pretty much the way that most people go out and buy cars nowadays or have historically done it. But I use Carvana, which they do not sponsor this podcast. Carvana, if you hear this, you totally should sponsor my podcast. And it was the easiest, best customer service experience that I have literally ever had. I will never buy a car at a dealership ever again in my life. It was so easy. It literally took me 30 minutes to buy the car that I wanted. The guy on the phone, customer service, incredibly nice, walked me through everything well. So if you're looking to buy a new car, don't go to a dealership and get ripped off. Just go online. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. So with all of that, that is the end of the show. Thank you so much for stopping by and for checking us out. As always, y'all, we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We are always going to be reasonable. And of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor. Thank you for listening to Split the Difference Podcast, written, recorded, and hosted by Austin Taylor. If you're interested in getting in touch with me on Instagram, you can find me at Split the Difference Podcast. I'm on Facebook and YouTube at Split the Difference and on my website at splitthedifference.com. Production for the intro and outro music done by Rosewood Records Recording Studio. If you're interested in booking or learning more about them, you can reach them on Facebook or Instagram at Rosewood Records SC or on their website, www.rosewoodrecordssc.com. <laughs>